I'm Kimberly C. Palm. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. It's first of all, we've we have a mutual friend, Eric. We're at his birthday party. And but you have worked with Eric over the past couple of years doing a documentary, um, which is fabulous, by the way. But I also want to know how did you guys originally met and and how did your relationship evolve? Because the way Eric talks about it, it's like you've known each other all your life. Yeah. Um, well, one of the amazing things about my work as a filmmaker is that when I get to meet people, I get to go deep right away. Uh, or at least I'm lucky when that happens. Uh, and it does seem to happen most of the time. So, you know, the, the director subject relationship is a, is a special one. Uh, we haven't known each other our whole lives, but I think we share a kind of philosophy on what it means to connect deeply and be present. And um, so we feel as though we've been close um, forever. And uh, I think, you know, uh, we were introduced through a work colleague of Eric's, Julia Portali. Julia worked at Qualidime, which was Eric's last and in some ways most stable and long-term kind of employment that he'd had in his life. And, um, Julia had known my work from the past. She had worked at a uh, nursing home that I do a lot of video work for and have actually collaborated on a couple of different film projects with. Uh, She had uh, had an administrative position there. And when she came to uh, Qualadime, where Eric worked, um, she, like everybody else who worked at Qualadime, understood that Eric had something uh, special about him, you know, that he was not just a front desk administrator. He was in some ways the beating heart of the company um, <laughs> in how he carried himself and uh, how he connected with people. Uh, so I didn't know any of this, but when he was diagnosed with ALS, Julia called me and said, we have this really special person here at our office, and I think he'd make a great documentary subject. So I uh, wasn't really shopping for a new film uh, project, but I, um, you know, sounded interesting to me. It sounded like if we could build a team to make the project, it would be worthwhile. And um, and I met Eric, and of course, as you and everybody else who knows him, uh, you know, understands. You know, you know, I fell in love, um, and uh, and it, and it's 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 been a you know, a lifelong friendship, even though it's probably only been about three or four years at this point. So talk to me a little bit about the documentary, filming the documentary. I mean, it's now on YouTube. Um, and and talk to me a little bit about, you know, seeing Eric jump out of a plane versus seeing him today at his birthday party, really totally unable to to move um, what what kind of dramatic effect did that have on you? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I went into this understanding that he was going to lose function. So this was not like a, 
you know, it's making a film about mortality in this case, and also in all my other work, uh, I wasn't obviously surprised. You know, I think I had created enough um, of, I guess, uh, emotional boundaries, not the right word. It's more just like, I understood going into this, that these were the terms. Um, I wasn't making a film about him because he was going to be living an indefinite amount of time. Um, so understanding that, I think, uh, framed everything. I mean, it framed how I looked at him. It framed uh, how he spoke of his own experience in conversation with me. I mean, we were not pretending that this wasn't happening or, um, you know, trying to speak nice about it. It was a very, we, we were ready to just go deep into what it meant that life is finite. And that's where I like to be with my films. Um, and I, and I certainly wouldn't be making films with people who weren't ready to go to that space. Mm. So obviously it's, um, it's sad, uh, of course, uh, to see people that you love lose function. Um, but it was always understood by, by us that that was what I was capturing. Uh, and, um, and, and Eric, I think really led the way of course, with his, um, you know, incredibly courageous embrace of his disease and the, and the progressive loss of function. He, he, you know, I never had to push him into any level of acceptance. It was more, I hoped that I could be a witness to this process as it evolved. Um, certainly with my camera for the sake of the film. Um, but then also beyond the film uh, to just be present to him as best I could as a friend. And and this is a family affair. You showed up to his birthday party with wife, kids in tow. And it was, it was, Eric is unique. We must admit that there's something about him that gathers really authentic people around him and that that tend to ha to have certain values. And what's crazy is is that, you know, I met him sort of through you and then I met you through sort of a friend in Wilmington, North Carolina, and and here we are celebrating his 60th birthday and he seems beyond joyful. Um which he can't move. He he can talk and he can move his neck. But other than that, he's totally dependent. But yet I feel like he has more joy than any of us. Do you feel that way, too? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I find it, um, you know, inspiring that he has this uh, right. I would say a well of joy is a really good way of putting it. He, um, you know, has this incredible ability to. Um, to just live in the moment. And uh, I think, um, I mean, I think it's not the disease that did that for him. I feel like I've been exposed to people who, um, a life-changing diagnosis, a terminal illness reframes things for them. And that's beautiful to watch as well. I think for Eric, it was there before. And I think, I don't think it was always as joyous and as positive earlier in his life. I think there can be some costs maybe as well to living in the moment. I mean, we live in this society where we tell each other all the time, live in the moment, live in the moment, just be in the moment. And the truth is you can't just live in the moment. <laughs> we live in a world where you have to prepare 
for the future, you have to reflect on your past. You're really not living a full life if you haven't. And I think um, Eric and his incredible gift of being in the moment possibly had some challenges earlier in his life as well. But I think he is very well practiced at being in the moment and having this deep well of present tense joy that he can tap into. And I think what's obvious is it has served him extremely well in this extraordinarily challenging time for him. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you, you will die as you have lived and whether Eric went through all this traumatic things in the beginning of his life that he came to this well of joy that he wants to spread it to everyone. It, it is his story. Um, but talk to me a little bit about putting this film together, the response you've gotten, and and how, where do you see it going from here? Well, the film took a long time to make. I feel like I keep saying that after every everything that I make because <laughs> I, I often make films about um, about people or things that are in flux, uh, that are dying, uh, that are dealing with mortality, uh, and. I, I keep relearning this lesson that you really can't rush that process. Um, so I thought I was going to maybe pop into his life for a short window of time. It ended up being that I filmed him for over two years. Uh, and then at a certain point, it felt like what I had set out to do, which was to make a film about this liminal space between living and dying. It wasn't, I wasn't going to follow him to the grave. I made that decision very early on. Uh, and so. I had to sort of be patient until it felt like what I where I was hoping to end the film had happened. Now, we're at this party where this incredible mariachi band just played. I can't help but sit here and watch this unfold and say, I should have the camera. This is the real end of the film. Of course, in a perfect world, you can film things forever and you can make different versions and but it's that's not a healthy way for me to live as an artist either. So the decision was made that the film was not about his death, it was about his life. And that it was a short film and that it would exist, it would both tell his story, his coming of age, both as a gay man and as a father and as a, a Puerto Rican American living in the United States and finding a home. Uh, and it would tell it while living in this liminal space between his diagnosis and the real burden of the illness before it really took hold. And that's why the film is really framed with this device of him jumping out of the plane because in the face of the void, the end, he chooses life and nothing really says choosing life like uh, jumping out of a plane. <laughs> uh, so, um, so he, uh, you know, so 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 the film, the process of making the film. I'm sorry, I got I I, uh, I diverted there, but it was a two to three year process. I didn't really feel like I was done capturing it for at least a couple of years, which is um, a year and six months longer than I thought I would be filming the project. And then it probably took a good year longer to really edit the film. Not so much that I was editing that whole time, but that there needed to be a certain amount of space to really see the story and understand where it started and where it ended. It wasn't immediately obvious that the skydive would be a framing device for the film. And then it was everywhere in the film, uh, which felt like too much. And then it got <laughs> subtracted a little bit um, so that it was it, it achieved the right tone. 
what the film has done is a bit of um, a challenging question to answer. You know, we were ready to premiere at a fairly respected regional film festival in, in 2020. And the pandemic, like it has for so many people, sort of scuttled uh, our plan. Now, that said, I am really proud of how we pivoted and just said early on, getting this film out there for Eric's sake is the highest priority. This is not about the film. This is not about me and my career. Eric needs to have the experience of watching people watch his story. Uh, that, if nothing else, is a bucket list item that I can put on his bucket list and give to him before it's too late. So very early on, I think we maybe spent three weeks uh, into the quarantine in March of 2020, wondering how long we should sit on this film and wait for the film festival to be rescheduled. And once that early period of adjustment had unfolded, we said, all right, let's show it online. Let's get it out and let's, let's find a way to do this. And that, uh, gave way to a series of online events that we produced in cooperation with a number of partners, partners um, for generally disability advocates and ALS uh, people. Um, those may or may not have been our core audiences ultimately, but they did appreciate the film and help us uh, reach actual audiences in these Zoom events that we we conducted. Um, and uh, in, in a brief span of a few months, um, hundreds of people were introduced to the film. Um, and after that, we sort of waited again a little while. We had had this great experience of sneak previewing the film, as we called it. But it began to feel like a premiere, which is what a lot of filmmakers really wait and hope for, and film subjects too. It started to feel like that was getting farther and farther away and might not ever really happen. Uh, the film festival that we had been set to premiere at was canceled. We participated in a number of others that went online, but that wasn't really the, showing a film online is like having it on Netflix. And I, I have had a previous work on Netflix. It's great. It's exciting. Uh, but you also don't get anything from it, really. It's just a deal in the end. And it's a way for people to see your film, which is terrific. But film festivals are such a short window that did anybody really see it? I'm sure a few people did. And that's great. Um, but what we decided we needed to do was to have an official online premiere. Uh, and Eric dressed up in a tux and he uh, had a virtual red carpet behind him. And we had this amazing event that was just really, really magical in January of 21. And that was the day we put it on YouTube and decided this film uh, should just fly uh, on its own and reach an audience. And I will say I, I would have thought at this point that maybe it would have had a little bit more, um, a little bit more wings underneath it. But um, there's, it's just a weird time. It remains a weird time where people being exposed to films. I mean, certainly my will to promote the film is not what it once was. I'm, I have lots of other projects going on. I'm trying to keep a family alive and healthy through a <laughs> pandemic. Um, you know, so it's been a very challenging environment. Um, both to put this film out into the world and also to maintain a relationship with a dying friend and also be present to all the other things happening in my life. It's just a very weird time. It but totally I'm very, is. I'm, I'm proud we didn't sit on it. I feel like there are still a lot of filmmakers who might be sitting on films that they made uh, thinking that the world will come back someday. And I have a feeling it won't. So I, I, I took a page from Eric's book and just said, 
let's celebrate this now. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And when I saw the film, it's beautiful, by the way, the filming of the film, the, the capturing, the telling of his full story. And, you know, how what is as a filmmaker, what do you want people who watch this beautiful short about what, what do you want them to walk away with? I mean, that's what I'm interested in. As a as a, a semi, you know, amateur filmmaker, it's like, what are my intentions? And and what is the story? Um, because the filmmaker will have their own perception of what they're trying to project in the world with great intentions. But how do you want people to perceive it? Or even inspire them to do? Um, because I can tell you what the film has inspired me Um Oh, I mean, I just, I think the film watching it, and I think I've watched it several times, is is we have this moment, and what are we waiting for? And, you know, you're talking to someone that is not really big, uh, a big fan of jumping out of a perfectly perfect plane, but it's it's one of those things that if Eric can have joy sitting in a chair and still and still embrace life, then I ask the question, what am I waiting for? You know, it, it's put in perspective of my own, I guess, daily quirks, um, daily struggles. And lo- watching this film, it put it in perspective that, you know, what am I waiting for? Because I have the time. Eric doesn't. And so that's what it's done for me. But what was your intention? Yeah, I I try to be careful about saying too much about my intention <laughs> uh, because I don't want to prescribe an experience for a viewer. And also, I think my it, I think I've had a hard time answering this question over the years because I think the um, my intention really at the end of the day is to create a space for reflection. You know, I mean, I could say that I want people to live in the moment, but that's not really true, honestly. I uh, I think for me it has its own resonance, of course, as both the filmmaker and as a viewer. I mean, I've watched this film now, um, you know, 7,000 times. So, um, you know, I, 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 of course, want when I'm directing a film to be able to have the experience of watching it and continue to find things. And I'm fortunate that I think I, I work in a way that that continues to happen over time. And I can still find, I mean, I wouldn't be making the film if I didn't find something in it for myself. But what I find in it for myself and I work with mortality as a subject, really. So um, what I find in it for myself is not necessarily what someone else is going to find in it. But I think it has to do with, um, for me, I think reflection is really, really important. And, um, you know, I think I struggle personally in my own life with rumination, which is really not the same, and regret. Uh, and I think being able to, you know, examine someone else's life that's been observed, hopefully sensitively, hopefully it's been observed patiently as I intended to do. I think there's an opportunity just to reflect on the choices Mm -hmm. we make, you know, you know, the way you speak of it, uh, which I really appreciate your sharing that with me. That's a, that's that if that experience of considering your daily routine, um, both what you do 
and also how you think about your day and how your day unfolds as a result, that's a very gratifying for me to hear. Mm. Um, what that might be for somebody else, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to say. And I think, you know, I'm always in danger of going too saccharine with my films because they're films about people who are dying. And I certainly don't want to uh, make anybody depressed. So, mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, and of course I tell everybody, I tell people, you know, if I, if I'm sitting next to somebody on a plane or in an elevator that I've made a film about a person who's, who has ALS. And the last thing they want to do from that moment on is have anything to do with my film. So, uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a tricky balance to, um, represent these stories that are real, um, and, and help people get to the table to watch them. Uh, and then also not try so hard for it to be uplifting uh, for the sake of something being uplifting because people need some dessert after they eat their peas. That's really, I'm trying real hard not to approach my aesthetic through that lens. Um, mm. And I think, and this project gave me an opportunity um, as they all do, I think I'm getting better at it, uh, to try to just observe an experience and let the weight of mortality exist in the subtext, uh, as well as um, the hope in the transcendence. You know, we don't always get transcendence. I'm sure you've witnessed that thousands of times over. It's the lucky people who do. Um, you know, but I, and, and then there's reasons why people do experience transcendence as well. Um, and, and I really, I give you a lot of credit for what you're doing in the world because, um, I feel like my films can't get there, but I think with your book and your podcast, you, and your certainly your life experience, you can take those ideas and you can push them a little bit farther than I can. You can do it more actively in the world. I mean, they're all things that I agree with. Um, you know, having sort of witnessed, you know, uh, dozens of people die and film those experiences uh, largely, or at least parts of those experiences. Um, but uh, I try to have, I feel like for the film really to work, it shouldn't push too hard. And mm. there, are, and, and I'm sort of a bit of an anomaly because we're living in a time where activist filmmaking, social issue filmmaking, uh, promoting an agenda through a film is a really popular thing to do. And there's lots of reasons for that. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with it. Uh, but that's not where, um, that's not the space that I think allows my films the room they need to really breathe and then hopefully sink deeper into someone's consciousness. Mm, I love that. You know, I sit here as a new friend of Eric's, even newer than you. Um, and, you know, how I asked myself this after I got back um, from Connecticut. It's like, how am I going to grieve him? Am I already grieving Eric? Um, and what is it going to be like for somebody who has this giant soul and personality to die and him not be a part of this world? Have you journeyed in some of that? Are you... How are you feeling about a world without Eric? Well, I'll tell you, I was enormously humbled, enormously humbled. And, and I don't mean humbled in the way that it's like often used uh, of like, I was like honored. I was enormously humbled when Eric said he wanted me to write his obituary. Oh, I actually wow. took a step back and said, dude, 
let's talk this through because I don't think <laughs> you necessarily know <laughs> that you want to trust me with this responsibility. And I said, of course I do. And I had to really take a moment and say, wow, this is um, it's a lot deeper than having just made a film. He's asking me to write his life story. And this was over a year ago now. And I said, well, I said, of course, I'll do it, of course. What was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> right? It gets heavy. I had a question. I had, I had an, I was, it was, this was inspired, wherever this is going was inspired by your question. Yeah. It was, the question is, how are you going to feel? Oh, how am I, Oh, oh. So I realized immediately that I was grieving him already. Oh. He asked me to write his obituary and I began writing about somebody who had died. That was the first mistake I made because we read an obituary and it's written in the past tense. And I immediately put it down for a month without even really, it wasn't a conscious decision. Just after three weeks, I was sending him texts and, uh, and I called him and I apologized. And it's like, it's really not coming. I said, and I, you know why? Because I'm talking about you like you're already dead and that's unfair uh, to you and, and, and to me. And I said, you know, maybe I'll write an obituary when you die. That's in the past tense. I said, but what's gonna help me through this project right now is to write a biography of you. I, and because I, I'm certainly aware of the fact that I'm grieving already, uh, it's a process. I mean, you're, you have a finite amount of time left and I'm watching you lose your physical abilities. Um, so, and it's harder for us to communicate and not, not just because of the ALS, but also because of the pandemic. So the process of losing him is already un- is already underway. It's been underway for some time now. Um, I don't know if I, before you asked me this question, I had actually really grappled with it. But the act of trying to write this biography for him was also a process of living in a world where he's no longer there. That was the thrust of writing it, is that he wanted his story written. He wanted an obituary. I don't know if I've actually written it. I've written it. <laughs> I've written a six or seven page single space biography of his life. Uh, what it was, I would say, you know, even more than the film itself. And maybe there's another film in here. I don't know. I, it's always dangerous to open this up. I recorded four or five very long, very intense zoom conversations with him where we could talk about all the major chapters of his life so that I could write this biography. And that even more than the film, I'm so grateful for. Because the film, to some extent, you're always keeping somebody at arm's length or you're looking at them through the barrel of a lens and it's not deep as deep a connection as this was. This was very, very intimate because these were private Zoom conversations that I was recording, but not for the purpose of putting them in a film. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and I wrote the biography and, um, you know, maybe someday it'll be adapted into a, into an obituary. Um, but that process I think did bring me very close to the fact that, um, that his dying was real and that just from a standpoint of grieving, that was real too. Um, Mm -hmm. it's fairly tricky. I mean, you know, I, I've heard these stories recently, um, 
you know, in, in fact, it's it's crazy, but Julia Portali just lost her husband to pancreatic cancer. Uh, he had been fighting it for about three years. Uh, but I mean, she came to me to make this film. I have we have this wonderful person who's, you know, who he, he has ALS, um, you know, and within two years, her husband got this diagnosis that, you know, obviously he fought and he got he had, he, he had a few more years. Um, but uh, but he just died about two months ago. And, uh, you know, who could imagine that our fates turn on a dime? Uh, but 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 they she related during his hospice. She might be an interesting person for you to talk to. She mm. she actually started a hospice house in Connecticut, the first inpatient residential hospice care setting in the state of Connecticut. Oh uh, wow! She, she's worked in healthcare uh, and senior care her whole career uh, as a health administrator. Uh, she's a high level administrator. She's got a master's in public administration stuff. So. Uh, you know, she, um, but she, you know, she was telling the story about being around her husband Cam's bedside and um, they were, he was dying imminently and they were talking about him, I think in the past tense. And he woke up and said, I'm not dead yet. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's great that we can laugh about it. I feel like you and I can. It might be actually more uncomfortable for most people, but actually that's the reality of it is that in the very end stages, people don't know how to act uh, and people don't know how to talk about someone. And I really think it's probably doesn't get discussed very much, or maybe it does in your world more than mine. Um, people are halfway, they're, they're transitioning, mm-hmm. even if they're alive because of what's already been lost. And when you think about, when I hear the, about the hallucinations and um, the things that people who are in the very, very end stages see and feel, and sometimes can relate back to their loved ones if they regain consciousness, you know, momentarily, um, really they're in a state of transition. So it's not like it's such a terrible thing to have talked about somebody in the past tense you know, just because, because if they haven't ha- been awake for three days, maybe they are already, you know, on the other right. side, you know, so, uh, you know, abstracting that a little bit further, you know, I think Eric has, has actually made us all very comfortable with the fact that he is a little bit living in a few, in a couple different worlds and has been, especially because of how debilitating ALS is, um, mm-hmm. and especially how much he's been sleeping these past few months. I mean, being that it's been a pandemic and I've only been able to visit him this once since the pandemic started. Um, you know, it's, I've had to really learn what his life is like from our correspondence. You know, I haven't been able to really witness it. Um, and, uh, but it, but it sounds, it sounds like, you know, um, you know, he's, he's really lost a lot and he's really far along, you know? Um, so in a way, you know, we've, we've had to grieve remotely, but it's, but thank God the technology really, you know, a million times, it has been a way for us to be together. Well, you know, I have to, I have to put, you know, tip my hat off with you because being part of someone's legacy is so important. And, and whether, I don't think this was your intention at all, but I think that's the beautiful part of it. I think this film has become how Eric will live on and continue to be a teacher in the most 
genuine and authentic way. And, and you must feel some sense of joy about that because those, if anyone has not met like Eric, I'm thinking you've missed out on a certain portion of life. Um, so how do you, you know, closing this interview, I mean, how do you feel about being a part of someone's legacy like that? Um, wow. Well, I don't really think about it too much. Uh, but to have you, um, clarify that in a way or frame that for me, give it some context is, um, you know, it's really humbling and it's really, um, you know, it, it really does give me great joy to, to realize that the, that the works do function in that way. Um, you know, it's, I, I guess it's something I learn over and over and over again, which is that a film or any work of media, you know, if it's well made, it can continue to be to live in the present. Uh, I, I don't necessarily always think of it that way when I'm making it. And certainly, you know, reconnecting with projects that are, to me, over is a little like reconnecting with an old friend mm. in a way. And certainly the pe- for, for my direct exposure to the people that I've worked with, including Eric, but also, um, you know, the really wonderful people that I've made films about who have now passed on, um, I, I sort of carry them with me in the present anyway. You know, I know I'm a part of their legacy in a very intimate way because of our uh, direct connection, not so much because of the work. So I, I don't often actually really ponder, um, you know, how much the work lives on. And because frankly, a lot of times the works, they don't live on as, maybe they don't live on the way I expected them to live on when I was young and I came of age in a world where, there was so much less media, but you know, one of the reasons why I put it on YouTube is because I really think, you know, YouTube or whatever, you know, hopefully, hopefully YouTube is around. Uh, if something ever succeeds YouTube or whatever, I just think having things on the internet, um, may, you know, if you can access it and watch it without a paywall, without having to hunt and dig for something, then it can really continue to be present. And I, I, I've made this decision with a couple of my older films. Some of them I don't have, a couple of them I don't have the rights to do it with. But um, I, you know, I put this film that I made, my first real feature in 2003, 2004, about this developmentally uh, challenged man, undiagnosed, his whole life, who's the um, water boy for a college lacrosse team, but so much more than that. He's like mm-hmm. a spiritual guide and he's very intelligent, has significant social quirks uh, and difficulties connecting with people, but he connects the way he knows how. And the film is about his relationship off the field with this woman who's dying of cancer, who's sort of his surrogate mom in a way. He sees them as, he sees himself as like a surrogate husband to her because she lost her husband um, sometime earlier. Uh, And, you know, this was in 2004, her dying was very much a part of the film. I mean, it really is the whole thrust of the film is, is, his process of transition after her, her life. Uh, and, um, you know, that film was well received when it came out. It was quickly, you know, 
um, kind of forgotten essentially as a work, except for the people who are closest to my subject. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I said, this really needs to be on YouTube. I mean, you know, for everybody who knew my subject, Peter, and loved him and helped make the film, it continues to appreciate and value over mm -hmm. time. They keep re-engaging with this film and saying, thank God this was made. This is his life, you know. You know, we can continue to experience him and have a relationship with him because we can see him. So it was such a struggle to make that film. It's a struggle to make every film. I haven't figured out a way to make films yet that hasn't been a struggle. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> I'll be over the moon when I do. Uh, <laughs> finally cracked the code on that. But, um, but you know, that film, which is called Keeper of the Cone, um, you know, I, you know, what you say, said about the work being a living legacy, it reminds me of the lessons that I have had to relearn over and over and over again about Keeper of the Cone, which is that when it gets screened, which is rare, but it does happen once in a while, uh, and certainly when people engage with it um, in however way they want to engage with it, it does really keep these important people alive as teachers, like you said. Yeah, it's a... It's amazing. And, and I, I guess I'll close on this is, is have your films being the subject kind of centering and circling around mortality. Has that, has that made you think about your own mortality? Have you seen yourself in your subjects at times? Uh, always. Yes. Um, you know, it's, we'll save this for the next conversation that we have, but um, you know, I, I lost my, uh, brother very tragically at, uh, when I was a kid and I've been sort of considering my mortality pretty actively since then, not always in the healthiest ways. In fact, I think, um, you know, it was a traumatic loss and une unexpected. And I think, um, you know, I think of grieving differently than people who work in the terminal illness space. Although I've learned a tremendous amount uh, by, from people who learn to live and work with patients and grieve in the terminal illness experience. Um, you know, but I, but yes, uh, I see myself in my subjects. I see people I know in my subjects. I uh, am always finding something for myself in my own spiritual journey uh, of acceptance of, of, uh, of death, um, you know, in the, in the people that I make films about. I mean, I, I, I really, even though all my films are about mortality, I have actually really come a long way in thinking about my films is really not about death at all. And I used to tell people like, oh, I, well, I make films about, about death and dying, but it's really not true. It's hard to sell people on this idea uh, but they happen in a space of death and dying, but they're really about living. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really, to me, if there's a metaphor or container for the films that I'm trying to make, it's that I, people can ponder death and dying, uh, and do in their own ways. Um, I can't lead someone to that table. Uh, but what I have control over, I think, and this is most relevant to my life experience, and I think it's in tune with, with what you do as well, is we can use this experience of death and dying, which is all around us, uh, and have it 
resonate and reverberate really on these questions that we have about how we should be living. Mm. And that, and that to me is what my subjects are always doing and teaching, I think, is they're showing us a way to live. And, and, and in, in observing them, they're showing me a way to live. So I, I think I really do, um, I like following them around with a camera for that reason. I love it. I love it. Well, David, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this time. And if there's anything that I can do to support, of course, Eric's documentary that you beautifully have shot um, and any other film, you know, it's, you're right. We're in this space and being around and in this area of, of facing the end, um, it really makes you know how and realize how precious this moment is because it's going to be gone. And, and, and like you said, even with your friend, who knows who is going to die before Eric? You know, it's like we forget that we we are pretty obtuse to even acknowledge our own mortality, and we have just as many opportunities to die before any hospice patient does. Um, you know, but living boldly, I think, is what Eric has inspired me and many other dying patients is is not to waste time. And I believe that through your films, it's showing people who are living really well in the face of also their own mortality. And I think that's something even for us to learn without a serious diagnosis, how do we live like that? Um, because that's living on the edge to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that is, it's a, that's a real, it's a very bold way to live um, because you have to live with an open heart. And I think that's terrifying. <laughs> yes. it's, ter- it's terrifying for me but I, I i i live in this space you know so i have a, i have to deal with it and i i force myself to do it as much as i can but i agree it's you know uh maybe i could have made this metaphor uh now you've got me thinking about uh what i could have done better in the film but you know i think um you know people look for thrills by jumping out of planes or bungee jumping because they want to come to the edge of death and but do it with the safety of knowing that they're not really going to die and then harvest something from that experience but to me it's not it's wonderful that people can do that i think and especially if they're conscious of that of that being the reason why they're doing that but waking up in the morning and saying i'm going to live this day with an open heart i'm not going to be afraid to cry if the spirit moves me i'm not going to be afraid to cackle if the spirit moves me that actually feels very daunting, I think, to me and can mm. to other people. And making that choice at the beginning of the day is a huge risk if it makes you feel self-conscious as it does for like 99.8% of us. You know, and I think, um, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy because, you know, and that's where I feel like I've learned, one of the biggest lessons I've learned from Eric was to to look at fear, acknowledge it, and do it fucking anyway. You know, it's like that I know fear is beside me and it just is not gonna control the radio. It's my it's my radio. I'm the driver of this. But I think in any great adventure there's fear. And only the the grand, you know, explorers 
are able to live with that fear and do it anyway. Mm. Mm. And I, I think that's what Eric is to me is because ALS has taken just about everything that it could, but it has not taken his spirit. It has not taken who he is. He is laughing his way out of this world and spreading joy as much as he can where he is. And to me, I think that's captured in your film. And, oh, man, I want to live like that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for all these wonderful things you've said about the film. Oh, I love it. Thank you for the, it's so incredibly validating that you're his close friend now, in part because of the film. Absolutely. Through the film. I mean, really, that is an enormous, enormous um, uh, credit you know, to, to how the film is working for people that I don't often get the opportunity to see and experience. So um, thank you for, uh, you know, for, for validating the work the way you have. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and complimenting it, of course, and, uh, and, and sharing it as well through this, um, you know, this medium that you have. Thank you so much. I'm very... Well, and it was really great to see you and your family face to face and, and, Having and I look forward to to many more uh, future films. And if there's anything that I can do to support you, you know, when you know Eric and you're the one when I reached down and said, "Hey, I want to interview about your documentary." And I'll never forget this, David. You said, "I'm not the subject. Here's Eric's. Call him." And I was like, "Holy crap! This was real. That is really rarely done in this arena." Um, and to me, I think that gives credit to who you are. Um, you let your work speak for itself. And I love that. Thank you. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. <laughs> and I'm, so glad, I'm so glad you reached out to Eric. Is that episode available yet? Uh, it's getting ready to air actually. So I will totally hook you up and, you know, I might even turn some of this into kind of a part two series um, and following that just to kind of sandwich that documentary and, uh, pro, um, uh, you know, promote it again. But then why wait? This this why wait docu-pod docu-series is going to be about a five or six episode where we're journeying. Um, and even because I don't know if you realize I didn't get to jump out of the plane. The weather was the wind was too crazy. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. So in Denver, I am jumping out, um, by myself and hopefully Eric is going to be on FaceTime and, but you, you know, I haven't told many people we didn't jump because I, I will, it's, it's part of the experience is disappointment. That's life. And then, but yeah, I'm still going to do it. That's really cool. And I, and I love the way you're framing it as it's still the jump. It might be happening in Denver, but it's still, it's part of the same solidarity experience exactly that's wonderful yeah it's amazing they do get scuttled i feel like you know i don't know much about skydiving still um you know uh i didn't i certainly didn't know anything when i started but um if you want to go skydiving and it's not about solidarity with someone who's dying uh, then you just go another day uh but i can see how that experience of it being uh postponed May, you know, almost like redoubled your commitment to doing it in his honor and in connection with him. Cause it's every time I've gone, it's been for Eric. Uh, it's been a fundraiser. Um, and it's been this, you know, fairly deep spiritual experience, you know, for people, but, um, it's probably not always that way for, for, uh, 
you know, for skydivers, for people who want to do it at casually. Yeah. You get postponed a lot. It's very weather dependent. Exactly. But I, but you know what? I think that's part of the story is, is that, you know, it, it going to Connecticut and the birthday and jumping out of the plane and making it an event. This is sort of like now it's intentional, Mm. you know, that I, I, I could have backed out, but it's like something inspired me to continue on. And, and I think that's Eric's spirit. And so hopefully, you know, it will happen and I I hope it it happens before he dies. Um, but Eric, like Eric said, it'll happen when it's supposed to. Yeah. 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 Well, look, I know you've got things to do, but it's always great to talk to you. And it, seriously, if there's anything um, down the road, we we just got to chat to see. I want to collaborate with you, whatever it is down the road. I think that we we are on similar paths, but it, with different unique talents. And I, I don't know. There's something interesting about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm very open to it. Um, yeah, let's, you know, happy to have a conversation about, um, you know, whatever seems to be percolating, you know, at the right time. Exactly. Send send me your social media handles because I want to keep in touch and absolutely and hear about you know when it's when it's happening and um, you know and be able to promote it as well. All right, thanks, David. And look, thanks again for who you are, and we'll be chatting soon. Sounds great. All right, see you. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us today, and remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.